Hello and welcome to the British GT Fan Show. In this episode, we bring you the latest news, an in-depth breakdown of the epic finale to the 2020 Intelligent Money British GT Championship that was the Silverstone Showdown, as well as take a look at what you can give to the British GT fan in your life for Christmas. The British GT Fan Show is hosted by Sarah Smith, alongside resident British GT expert Nicholas Smith and Andrew Brightman and Gaz Jacobs of the British GT Fans. We've got a few news items to bring you for this episode. Uh, first up, Nick's going to talk about the British GT Fan Awards. Yes, the 2020 British GT Fans Awards have been announced, with voting set to open later this month. So keep an eye on the British GT Fans group on Facebook so you can nominate and vote for both GT3 and GT4 team and car of the year. Uh, of course, drivers of the year as well. Uh, the livery of the year, stint of the year, overtake of the year and race of the year. If you vote for anything other than Silverstone, I shall be highly disappointed. Um, I'd just like to say a big thank you to Andrew and Matt and Gaz, um, who are the admins of the British GT Fans group for organising uh, this. I'm sure it's going to be really popular. So if you're not a member of the group, do go over there and um, get stuck in and put your votes in. Second. The next item of news we have to bring you is that British GT champions in both teams and drivers categories Barwell Motorsport have added the GT World Challenge Europe Endurance Cup Silver Class teams title to their tally for 2020. The team's three driver lineup, including Ram Racing's Patrick Kiala, also claimed the Endurance Cup Silver Drivers title at the final round of the championship at Circuit Paul Ricard. In other SRO news, the Stefan Rattel organisation, the organisers of the Intelligent Money British GT Championship, and the Australian Racing Group have joined forces to run both the Motorsport Australia GT Championship and the Motorsport Australia Endurance Championship from 2021 onwards. The two series will join the GT World Challenge brand and be run as GT World Challenge Australia. The SRO's experience in running GT racing is met by ARG's Aussie Racing Prowess as the organisers of TCR Australia, VHT S5000, Touring Car Masters and the National Trans Am Series, along with both the Six Hours and International Race Meetings at Mount Panorama. Season has just ended in the UK, but we're already uh, getting news about next year. And the first of these things is that Ram Racing have confirmed via their social media uh, very quickly after the Silverstone 500 that they fully intend to return for 2021. Details of the effort are sketchy at this time. There's no drivers or even a car count confirmed, but no doubt the team are busy vetting candidates in the off-season, um, ready to set up for a GT3 Pro-Am title defence next year. Also confirming their intention to return next year is Speedworks, the Toyota Gazoo UK team. Now, after a year with a lot of promise under their belt, the Northwich-based Speedworks Motorsport today confirmed in a press release that not only are they coming back to British GT for 2021, but they're bringing friends. They're now targeting a second Toyota GR Supra GT4 to be on the grid at Alton Park next Easter weekend. I'm Angus Fender, I'm a McLaren GT3 driver for Two Seas Motorsport, and you're listening to the British GT Fans Show. So we are going to keep to the same format that we've done, 
previously. Uh, we are going to talk about the non-point scoring teams entries first and then, as usual, reverse order for the scoring teams. Um, and if they've got any extra entries in there, we'll include them as part of that discussion. So as always, we'll start off with GT4. So the first car that we're going to talk about is the number 98, which is the MSL powered by Newbridge Motorsport slash James Dorlin Aston Martin Vantage AMR GT4, uh, driven by James Dorlin and Alex Toth-Jones. So the first thing I'm going to say about this is it was a really busy weekend for James Dorlin, um, as not only was this car entered into the British GT finale, but he'd already raced twice that morning in the Cayman Islands Porsche Sprint Challenge. Um, and also had two podiums to show for it. The car itself got to a great start. Um, it moved to not just class lead, uh, with a lap lead over the other cars within the class, but it also moved second overall following incidents uh, at the start of the race and the subsequent safety car. The early lap game actually meant that it was leading in class for two whole stints throughout the race. Um, they did unfortunately lose that advantage in the final hour as they had to make two of their three mandatory pit stops in that time. And it meant that overall they finished sixth in class, but they were the highest single round entry finisher. It was a, a good weekend for for these guys. I, I think if I remember rightly, I mean, I haven't really followed the, the Porsche Sprint Cup, but I think James Dorling won the title in that as well, didn't he, Andrew? I'm seeing nodding on our webcam here. So <laughs> he is he, he took the title in that one as well. So it's a, a very good... Very good result for them. And a good return to the championship for Alex Toth-Jones as well, um, who obviously has raced before in Ford Mustang, stop my head, and a bit of Aston Martinage before as well. The, the car looked great, and a strategy, doing things differently to everybody else, really paid off for them for two and a half of the three hours. But the, the quality level's very high and they're dipping their toe in the water. So sixth was a fantastic finish for them. I, I don't think they could really expect it to be any higher than that. They were trying to hope for a safety car. We were having their last two pit stops towards the end of the race. That's the impression what happened I got. It's similar strategy to what um, Optiman tried in the Donington three-hour um, with the GT3 car. And uh, obviously it just didn't work out that way for them. So we've got the Team Parker Racing uh, entry into GT4. Now, car number you'll recognise, drivers you'll recognise, car you probably won't, which was the 66 Mercedes of Nick Jones and Scott Malvin. And Nick's going to take us through this one. Well, we do recognise this one because this is the number and car and driver and team combination, which took the 2018 GT4 uh, Pro-Am Championship. I did after, mean this uh, series. <laughs> okay, I'll let you off. After Good. a trying year for the guys in the Bentley, addled by Bop, and obviously with COVID not being able to get in all the testing they probably needed to perform at the top of their game in, in GT3, they found themselves a Mercedes that they can they, they can do the final race in. And it was looking pretty good all the way up to the start of the second lap. Um, but then Nick had a bit of a a bit of a moment going through maggots and Beckett's was fully out of control by the time he got to Beckett's. And there was another car there, one of the McLarens, which just had absolutely nowhere to go. Um, so I mean we saw bits of 
Mercedes flying all over the place. And we saw that the the left rear of the car, I'm just <laughs> sort of picturing the car in my head and was it left rear or right rear? Right rear, Nick. Right rear. See, I was trying to picture it in my head, but from the TV pictures. But the right rear of the car was was in a pretty in a pretty poorly shape. Uh, basically, the entire reel ripped off and just held on by by a tie tie on. Um, so that obviously called out the safety car and, and needed need, needed Andrew to, to to get to work to clear that one up. It was not the result thereafter, but qualifying went well for them. The accident actually happened right in front of my position. I was up in the tower on the exit of Beckett's, and Nick lost control. As in Nick Jones. Not Nick Smith. <laughs> Say, don't, don't go blaming me for this. <laughs> Joan, Jones lost control coming out the exit of Beckett's. And um, as the car stopped, unfortunately, Mia was actually behind another car. Mia flew it in the herb Balfe McLaren. Um, the car, the other car she was following went one way. She went the other. And unfortunately, she was the one that went into the side of it. Um, Nick did try, to, Nick Jones did try moving the car out of the way. It was immediately straight away that that car was going nowhere, and Mia's car had disappeared off out of my sight, but finished just before the um, Hangar Straight Bridge. Um, yeah, it made, it, it made it that far. It did get quite far because she, she, she was still doing about hundred when she hit it. So it made it, and obviously having a right front damage. Chances are she had no braking or steering going on either. So and the grass was rather wet, so she would have slid quite far down. Um. I obviously made the call for a safety car because I had a car on the racing line on the exit of one of the best series of corners in any circuit in the UK and actually in the world. And um, yeah, unfortunately, um, I sort of sort of spoke to Nick briefly. He was standing under actually underneath my post. And I was making sure he was all right. He's more right about getting lift back to the pits. So um, yeah, it was unfortunate for them and also unfortunate for Mia and um, Ewan as well because they were looking pretty good for the weekend as well. So the next team that we're going to talk about is Speedworks Motorsport who finished bottom of the GT4 full season entry lists with the number 23 Toyota Supra GR uh, driven by James Kell and Sam Smell and Andrew's going to take us through their race their race got ruined right at the start um, I'm not seen by on camera but they got attacked by the 61 Academy Mustang which had Bill Moore at the wheel at the time and that caused them to have a unscheduled pit stop luckily under safety car and to try and fix the damage on the left hand driver left hand door unfortunately during that trying to fix in the door they also made a mistake having too many mechanics over the white line which is part of the regulations is you can't do that which then caused them a penalty later in the race considering this car was actually on the gt4 pole unfortunately um it sort of ruined it for them and they the whole race was just is just trying to fight their way back and from what was going to be looking for a very good race weekend it went to a very bad one very quickly hmm. it was definitely unfortunate for the 23 um because and say qualifying showed the pace that we've kind of seen them hinting at all the way through the season um and as we were watching it on race day you know to see that there was clearly some sort of problem with the door we'd worked out that you know, there must have been some sort of contact somewhere, which obviously later uh, we found out was the number 61. Um, but it 
it did kind of ruin what was looking to be a really, really good race for them. What really impressed me is the pace of the car after the problem with the door became apparent. Because you could see from the footage that the door wasn't fitting flush in any way, uh, including sticking out a good inch or two at the top of the door frame, which has to ruin... I mean, I know the GT4 cars aren't massively aerodynamically reliant, but it does have to ruin the airflow over what is quite a aerodynamically crafted body and interfere with air going to the rear wing. But it was still pushing... The, the title contenders throughout the, the 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 first and second stints, even with that damage on board. So it, it did pretty damn well, actually. Next up in the championship was Balf Motorsport. Now, Balf were planning to represent with three cars in the GT4 category, but unfortunately, uh, Jan Klingelberg and Warren Hughes, who would have been returning for a second race this season, uh, were unable to join due to travel issues around COVID. Um, but we'll talk about the number 20 car first. Yeah, it's a, a, a new arrival to the championship for Lars Darman and Charlie Hollings. And they had a, a fairly effective but but fairly quiet race. So I didn't actually make a single note about them in, in the, th- the three hours, uh, three hour race. They were seen in the back of shot a couple of times. As we've said before, it's, it's a thing with... GT3 and GTC being some pretty pretty strong battles. And then spicy stuff at the front of GT4. There's not a lot of space in the coverage to show a car that finished eighth. But it was a good result for them. Uh, finishing eighth in a class of 12 cars on their debut in the, in, in the championship, it's, it was a good result. If for the 21, it was kind of lucky that they've already claimed the championship because if they'd had a tighter battle with some other cars, their second lap incident with the 66 Merc, which we've already pretty much covered, would have ruined would have ruined their race. And say if they had some other competitors, could have ruined their championship for them. It was a shame they couldn't get to finish the race, and they could, would have been up there challenging the silver silvers and. Obviously, challenging because the race winning GT4 car, which we'll talk about later. It's a well known thing in motorsport that if your car's going to break down in an endurance race, you'd rather it broke down on the first lap than the last rep because at least then the pub's still open. So, we move on to talk about Academy Motorsport now, um, who at Silverstone had the 61 Ford Mustang GT4 uh, with Will Moore returning and Matt Cowley behind the wheel. Um, this was a frustrating race for this car. Uh, Matt Cowley got an outside shot at the GT4 Drivers' Championship. Um, only him due to the driver change earlier in the season, but this was jeopardised before the race really even began. The car was driven through the pit lane on the laps out to the grid, which sadly is against the rules. Um, it also disappeared into the garage very early on for a while, which we subsequently learnt was down to the contact with the number 23 Toyota. Um, and they were in there for about 13 minutes of the first half an hour. So that really put paid to their chances. Uh, they also then were given a drive-through penalty in the 27th minute of racing. And there was so much action in front of all the classes that meant at one point I actually had to ask Nick to check the data 
uh, that the car was actually still in the race because it had been at least an hour and a half and I'd seen neither hide nor hair of it. Um, Sod's Law just before it then appeared in shot. Um, they finished 10th overall, which I'm sure was disappointing for the team. Um, but given the circumstances, it could have been worse. Yes, it's um, it's massively disappointing. Um, because I, I I wanted them to have a good race. I mean, they were pretty much statistically out of it before the championship even before the final race of the championship even started. But it's I say it's it's just sad. It's unfortunate. So next we move to you talk about Century Motorsport. Uh, we'll start off with the number 43 BMW M4, which had Ben Hurst and Adam Hatfield behind the wheel. Nick, do you want to take us through their race? It was a quiet race for the 43. We saw them a couple of times when they were passing, was like being passed by, by, by faster cars. But really the only the th- only thing for Ben and Adam that sort of rose to any notice was they pulled over at the side of chapel and did the old three-finger salute to reset the ele- electronics. They had picked up some sort of electrical fault. Now, there's a couple of cars that had that at that particular area, and it was born mainly of clouting the sausage curves too hard. I don't know whether they did that. Perhaps, Andrew, did you see them hit a curb too hard just before they had to reset? No, I just saw them gradually coast into a halt, and I was too busy trying to tell Gaz to get the yellow flag ready because um, he started slowing down as he went past me. Um, so he, he then disappeared. It was just about in shot before hangers, before the hangar bridge. Did he, the old control alt delete, and off he went again. Managed to finish the race in seventh. So, so by century standards, this this year it was actually a a fairly good result for them. Um, eclipsed slightly by their teammates, which we'll come on to in a moment. Yeah, so talking about the 42, um, which we'd got Rob Walden and Andrew Gordon Colbert behind the wheel. First up, what a race for this pair. Um, I mean, it couldn't be more different and it finally came together for Century and I'm really pleased for that. I'm also a little frustrated for for Rob and for Andrew because so much attention was actually given to the title championship and so much had gone right for these guys and their driving, which quite frankly, what we saw was excellent, flew under the radar for a lot of the race. I mean, they started on row 18 of the grid um, and then worked their way back. Um, They, again, like a few teams, took advantage of the safety car, making an early stop, and that strategy paid off. Um, It's also worth bearing in mind that as a pro-am pairing, they'd got less time to spend in the pits, so that can only help. And, you know, they fought their way up um, to take the lead as the 98 started to drop back to take it stopped um, and then had a superb run of driving from Andrew Gordon Colbrook who brought it home with a 47 second victory uh, which was actually credited as winning their class by a lap due to Sandy Mitchell's car overtaking the two TF Sport Aston Martins on the Wellington Strait on, their, on his last lap so a really well deserved win for century after a mixed bag and quite difficult year for me. You'd say it's a shame. Who would have thunk, basically, even an hour before the end of the race? We're looking at a car that's best finish all year has been third 
and they kind of lucked into that. From a team that really hasn't been at the forefront this year. And they spent the first two hours of the race a lap behind the class leader. Because, of course, the 98 car was a pit stop behind for most of the race. Who'd have thunk that car was going to win? So, yeah, you, you, as a TV director, you cover the car that's in the lead of the class and you cover the cars that are fighting for the title. And the rest of them are just things to be dodged until one of them runs straight through the pack to the front and wins by... As I said, they got lucky. If, if Sandy Mitchell had been a little bit quicker on the final lap, then the winner had been by about 20, 20-ish seconds, I'm guessing. But it turns out being recorded by an entire lap. Second in the championship, uh, we've got HHC Motorsport, who fielded two cars at Silverstone. Uh, so first up, we've got Andrew to take us through the number 57's race. And that, of course, is the McLaren 570S GT4 of Gus Bowers and Chris Fessamel. And then Nick will take us through the 58 of Jordan Collard and Patrick Matheson. 57 had a very, very, very small chance of winning the championship if some miracle happened, but unfortunately it didn't for them. And so this ended up being a pretty quiet race for these two. And unfortunately, obviously, a decent finish of fifth. Not really seen much on TV. And I can't remember much they did during the race from my vantage position. For a first season in British GT, they did okay. So hopefully they can build on that and come back next year. Yeah, it's just a fairly no problems. Just doing what I just doing what I can here. They, as we said, they didn't really have much of a chance at the title. They didn't get in any fights they didn't need to, but didn't push too aggressively because they didn't really have a chance of winning. The fifty-eight car. Then it was a car that was several times during the race in a championship winning position. Um, several times during the race, wasn't in a championship winning position. Uh, was in the last 15 minutes of the race, definitely in a championship winning position until, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your on your loyalties, um, lost a couple of places in rapid succession and just dropped out of championship contention. Uh, I think the, the main thing we can say about the 58, because it was commented on on a semi-regular basis, is that Jordan and Patrick, but mainly Jordan, was doing a very good job of keeping out of a certain GT3 car's way, uh, as it was revealed that Jordan did a very good job of getting out of his dad's way. Uh, obviously, Rob Collard in the in the 78. I remember Jordan having a blinder of a first lap. I don't think that qualifying was that great, and he was storming through the field at the beginning. He sort of went from or mid-pack to, like, up near the lead, if I remember correctly. I say, was it sixth place to the lead, wasn't it, on the first lap? It was... I think they did show it. I think they showed it, and it was he was zooming through, mm. and it did a very good job to get up there, and I think he went around the outside on the first quarter of Cops and gained a few positions because the TF Sport Aston, I think, ran a bit wide and managed to squeeze past him and go around Beckett, so... It's all set up in the right position. He knew he had to make his moves quick enough to try and get up the lead, which was where he needed to be and finish. Unfortunately, the speed of the two yellow things sort of um, ruined it for him. 
speaking of those two yellow things, uh, let's talk about TF Sport, who took the team's championship at the weekend with the numbers 95 and 97 cars. Uh, first up, Andrew will take us through Conor O'Brien and Patrick Kibble's race in the 95. And then I'll move on to the 97. So they did the um, early, very early pit stop under safety car, which TF Sport did this earlier this year with both cars at Donington three hour when we had an early safety car there. Fortunately, they got a, picked up a penalty, which again for both cars picked up a penalty because they both crossed the red light at the end of the pit lane because the safety car was in the area, which is a big no-no. So they had a 10 second penalty for each car. So obviously um, put them back a bit further, but the speed of the cars came through. Unfortunately, Connor and, o, Connor and Patrick end up losing out to their teammate car. I think it was Patrick might have run wide on the exit of Maggots and lost, sustained a bit of undertrade damage, which slowed them down a bit. But for a long part of the race, they were running around together in a position. Connor and Patrick were actually ahead of the 97 of Vaughan and Caroline. Unfortunately, they were, I think they were third in the championship coming in, so they had to win the race and it just didn't work out for them. The undertrade damage uh, to, to the car to the, the car didn't actually seem to slow them down that much at all. I mean, it might have taken them a little while to get used to a, maybe a slight change in the balance of the car. But towards the end of the race, that car was pretty damn rapid. And it was only traffic, really, which, which stopped the 97 car from having mirrors full of its teammate at the end. I would say across the whole season that I think actually Connor and Patrick were probably the faster of the two cars. Daniel Vaughan and Jamie Caroline, early championship really came alive when they won at Snetterton. So, um, unfortunately, I, I think in the younger pairing as well, with slightly less experience, I know Caroline and Vaughan are pretty new to British GT. I know Vaughan is in his, definitely his first year. But say so I, I think 95 did a very good, respectable job and they should build on that for the following seasons I mean both cars were always going to be fighting for position the whole of the way through the race um, the 97 being in contention for multiple championships both overall drivers and silver cup uh, not to mention TF Sport battling it out with HHC uh, for the team's championship there were questions asked during the race whether or not the stop and go penalties may have been a deliberate act on the part of TF Sport. Um, not sure on that one, but it was certainly a little bit of an oddity, um, you know, given the reasoning for it. Um, as Andrew had said in relation to kind of the battle between the two, um, Jamie Caroline made a blinding move in the 97 when the uh, number 23 Toyota uh, made a pretty good overtake on the 58 um, and it jumped in and basically followed through, taking a place. And that's the point where the battle between the 97 and the 95 really kicked off. Um, and there was about 20 minutes of that going on before Daniel Vaughan finally managed to get past uh, Conor O'Brien. And then that battle continued between the two um, and... It was 11 minutes to go, I think it was, before the 97 took second place ahead of the 58. 
Um, and that battle kept going right up to the end. And to be fair, you know, I think we all agree this is one of the best races in a long time, just overall. Um, and a great job from them. Yeah, I think congratulations have to go to TF Sport and they have to go to Jamie Caroline and Daniel Vaughan for taking the title. Um, and yeah, I'm going to leave it at that before I say something controversial. <laughs> say the controversial thing. Okay, Andrew's wrong. If it had been a straight-up fight, if if that last lap incident hadn't happened at Brands Hatch, and the 95 would be champions. No. Because they would have finished, was it first and second? So there'd be seven points between them still. It would have been slightly closer, but the way it worked out, the Bowen and Caroline would have won it anyway. So Would they? With success seconds mm. for the first place at Snetterton? Which, yeah, which neither car had because they both finished up in the gravel? If and but, you never know. The only way the only way Jamie Caroline could win this title was to take out his teammate because it was a better car. That's all Joe Osborne could talk about. And quite rightly so, it was the move that decided the championship. Is there, a, is there a politically correct way that I can put that? There isn't, but you have now made your controversial point. Because I could see you were itching to get it out there. You have got it out there. Oh, no, I was trying desperately not to, but then you gave me permission, so I was like... Move on to talk about the GTC class. Um, so first time this year that we've had any GTC cars uh, in the race, and we had five of them. Um, so starting off, we'll talk about the number 13, which is the Scott Sport slash John Dillon Ferrari 488 Challenge with John Dillon and Phil Quaife behind the wheel. Uh, these guys got off to a great start. They took an early lead, not only in GTC class, but also led the race overall for at least a lap, uh, which I don't think any of us expected to have happened at the start of this race. It's definitely a first in recent history if not british gt history full stop um we have had a bit of debate amongst ourselves whether or not it has happened in british gt before so i have set nick on that to see whether or not that is the case so uh, we'll try and get an answer in a future episode there as I said, they did have the class lead for a good chunk of time through the race, but they were overtaken by the Team Parker Racing number 16 Porsche of Justin Armstrong and Ryan Ratcliffe, um, who by two hours in had established a decent lead. Um, the number 13, however, did end up a bit of a cropper after some contact with Giacomo Petrobelli in his GT3 TF Sport Aston Martin. Um, they then took an eight-minute pit stop to fix a broken half shaft and lost a number of laps because of it. Uh, but despite this, they did still manage to finish third in class. This car got attacked earlier in the race as well by the um, number 10, Jack Mitchell, uh, two C's McLaren, um, getting in front of me. Um, Jack went down the inside of it, and they made contact, and Jack came off worst, while the 13 disappeared off into the distance. So um, I think he spent his race getting attacked by GT3 cars. I think most of the GTC cars had a run-in with a GT3 car or two, and it's a problem of of the way the, the classes are. So the GT3 cars are a decent amount of power, but very aero-dependent. The GTC cars are just brute force, nowhere near as much aero, which means they are lightning quick in the straights, and they are basically a, 
a right handful through the corners. But it means that when everybody's going for that one bit of real estate to try and get them through the corners, that that's where everybody comes together. And so obviously the GT3 cars and the GTC cars, they're coming together through nobody's maliciousness. The number 15 car, the FF Corsa Ferrari 488 Challenge uh, of Lauren Demuse and Jamie Stanley. Uh, finished second, just ahead of the uh, number 13 car in the class. Had um, a couple of fairly big moments during the race. Um, the good stuff came towards the end of it. They were battling pretty hard with the class leading Porsche to get a lap back. Um, they were a full lap down by that point the scary part was a absolutely scary scary full-on 360 and a bit uh farm curve which is the left-hander heading up towards the loop just after the the international pit building the the, the, the wing you don't have a small accident there and keeping it out the wall was pretty impressive wasn't the only person to manage that but it it was quite, quite, quite an impressive save. That move that, that Spinny had wasn't that. It was the contact with uh, number eight Sam Neary Merck um, that actually got a penalty for in the end. I say helped or, or or not helped, managing to keep it out of the gravel and out of the walls and and, and that sort of thing. It was Lauren Demus at the wheel, so um, pretty good job holding on to that car. Very impressed. The number 16 Team Parker Racing Porsche Challenge GC3 Cup car with Justin Armstrong and Ryan Ratcliffe actually came out of the race winners. Um, they managed to keep out a majority of trouble for the most of the race. And apart from nearly getting attacked by the Petrobelli um, Tearsport Aston, he had a habit of trying to attack the GTC cars. They was very, very lucky not, get, not to get clobbered by that. So you end up winning the race. Mm. It was a good little, good little performance by them too. The other Porsche uh, that was at the at, at the races for British GT was the number seventeen team Parker racing car. It had Carl Leonard and, and Tim Bridgman on board. Um, didn't classify in the end, and quite frankly, um, potentially through no fault of its own, uh, quite a lot happened off screen, um, but didn't really cover itself in glory. Uh, very early on, was stuck in the gravel trap with one of the Aston Martins. That one was, it was a bit of a strange one, actually. It was the Aston Martin on the inside, and it looked like the Porsche was going around the outside uh, at Luffield, and they came together and ended up in the uh, in the kitty litter. Um, and then there was another coming together, this time with one of the GTC cars. Um, about half an hour later, coming to get a bit of a spin, two cars heading off to the pits. And the only other notes I've got really are a stop and go penalty for causing that collision with the other GTC car. And then a puncture after it was so far down the order, really. It was um, not much attention was paid to it at all. It was just out there getting some lap time in, really. Brings us to the last car in the GTC entry, which is the Simon Green Motorsport number 24 Ferrari 488 Challenge, which 
was an interesting entry from the start, being the only entry on the grid with three drivers listed, uh, being Lucky Carer, Lee Frost and Ross Wiley. Uh, this team started strongly, but they had contact with the number 17 at Brooklyn's uh, half an hour in. Um, it gave the 24 a heavy spin, taking them to the pits. Um, they were in there for a little bit whilst they were making the necessary repairs to get back out in the field. Did mean that they dropped to the back of the GTC class um, of cars that finished. Um, so they finished in fourth. I did hear a lot of calls for the 24. He, most of it, I think literally all of it was missed off camera where the 24 seemed to spend most of the time facing the scenery rather than the track. So again, it's been doing the main British GT races, a bit more pressure on them, trying to drive a bit faster, all the traffic around them. Obviously they were involved in a, in, in a couple of incidents, spent quite a bit of time in the, in the pit lane after the coming together with the 17 car, they spent 13, well, nearly 13 and a, and a quarter minutes in the pit lane, getting, getting fixed up before they could go back out again. And then they weren't quite certain how to interact with traffic, were they? Instead of making their intentions clear, going into Magus and Beckett's, I seem to remember it was hazards on, so you don't know which side the car the Ferrari is going to go to, and then sort of sticking it in the middle of the track and daring GT3 cars to go either side. But I think they need a bit of coaching on how to interact with faster traffic. But lap times weren't too bad for, for, for a GT seeker. Hi, I'm Michael O'Brien, professional racing driver for McLaren, and I'm delighted to be joining the guys on the British GT Fan Show. Go and check them out, and uh, yeah, you won't be disappointed. And be sure to check out British GT Fans on Facebook and Fans of British GT on Instagram and Twitter. So time to take a look at GT3. Uh, follow the same format. So we'll kick off first with the number one car, which was Garage 59's entry. Um, Aston Martin Vantage AMR GT3 with Alexander West and Johnny Adam as drivers. So this was a car that a lot of people, including all of us, were excited to see. First off, Aston Martin have been missed through the season and GT3 were back. Uh, not to mention, you know, that multi-championship winning driver, Johnny Adam, was also back for the finale of the season after his earlier appearance for Beach Dean AMR. Um, there was a lot of fuss made about people turning up for the race. Not as much fuss as I would have expected, um, if I'm honest. Unfortunately, it didn't all go well with the car. As within half an hour of the race starting, um, it was actually Johnny who brought the car into the pit lane with what was thought to be brake issues, but uh, I understand was actually major tech issues. It did appear back out on track um, later, and there were a large number of pit stops made in between. Um, Alexander West certainly got a fair bit of track time in looking at the the data, but the car was in and out of the pits for the remainder of the race and sadly was not classified, which is not the result that anyone was expecting or wanting. No, it is a shame um, that we didn't get to see more of this car. Uh, get to see Johnny Adam at least for... Uh, at least twice this year, because of course he did race at Brands Hatch, didn't he? Um, so it is 
it is a shame, but it's better that they turned up for a one-off in our championship and had all the problems and they turned up for the final round of their championship, which was last weekend uh, uh, in GT World Challenge Europe uh, and had the problems there. They, they, they ironed out the wrinkles before the race that was more important to them. On the subject of Aston Martins, and Aston Martins that didn't really cover themselves in British GT glory. Uh, the number 38 car, TF Sport, were back for the first time this year. Uh, Tom Canning making his British GT3 debut. Um, Giacomo Petrobelli, um, a, a very experienced GT driver, actually. He's done a lot of stuff in Ferraris, and he's he's done... Le Mans series stuff, etc., etc. I'm going to have to say, I mean, there was a very rookie error from the team at the start of the race. They had equipment that's not allowed on the grid, on the grid, which netted the car a penalty. And then Petrobelli seemed to be throwing it at the scenery and throwing it, particularly at GTC cars, at every opportunity. He had a couple of very big, very, very, very big. Um, moments didn't really um didn't really show himself in in a particularly good light and then managed to take out the gtc class leader uh in the final hour of the race and and, and put them out of the race as well so um disappointing from the 38 car i think i think petra belly was a bit ring rusty because he's had a few years out if i remember correctly that's fair I, from what i understand it's about six years since he last raced but it showed. Continuing our run of Aston Martins, we had Ultimate Speed making their second appearance of the season. Um, this time appearing in their normal colour scheme of silver with a blue stripe. Unfortunately, it got as far as Luffield on lap one, end up in the gravel, which basically kiboshed their whole race. And um, it did reappear for about a lap a couple of hours later, just I think just to see if they fixed it or not, and it disappeared. So what could have been a sort of decent weekend for Michael Brown and Matt Manderson um, was a complete waste of space. Wasn't wasn't a particularly good good weekend for them. It was unlucky. I don't quite understand why they were battling with the GTC car at that point in time, but they were and things went wrong. Move to the point scoring teams now. Um, the next car that arrived at the weekend was the number seven Beach Dean AMR. Uh, was welcomed back with its wonderful retro livery for its second race this season with Andrew Howard and Charlie Eastwood uh, behind the wheel. But luck really wasn't on this Aston Martin side either. Um, after an early pit stop, there was some good pace and the car was actually towards the top of the grift, but it was short-lived. Uh, they dropped a couple of places and then Charlie Eastwood left the track at Vale just as the hour mark approached and we're not really sure why and the car did come back out after a pit stop but then came back in for a final time a couple of laps later leading to a retirement from the blue and yellow Aston. When this car was running when Charlie was in it this thing was flying it was mm. One of the fastest cars I saw going around Beckett's. It was absolutely amazing seeing how quick that Aston Martin can be with a proper pro driver in it. No offence to Andrew Howard. He, he, from when he was in the car, he was doing much better than he did at Brands Hatch earlier in the season with it. 
so Charlie had that thing going. And I don't know what, obviously, technical issues sort of stopped it down a veil, but then over the radio, I heard it stopped twice more on its way back to the pits. And obviously, that's just ruined the whole race, which was looking very good for them. But it's just, unfortunately, the technical issues ruined it. Moving on to, I think everybody knows it's my favourite car. The regular listeners will know. Uh, Sean Balf and Rob Bell in the Balf Motorsport McLaren 720S. Um, the Red Rocket, as the team have called it. This weekend, showing number 19. Decent performance in qualifying and having a decent race, but then again got, I think it was a puncher sort of earlier-ish in the race, Rob Bell. And then uh, later on in the race, I did point out the gas at one point. And I was like, that car didn't sound right. And it disappeared. And um, it sort of made, it made a few in and, out, in and out of the pits and then just disappeared completely and unfortunately non-classified. The car that won the last round in 2019, I'm sure they're hoping for much better. It was just <laughs> nice to see the car back out and Sean and Rob just having their little play at the end of the year before they head off to to do some rounds in some of the Asian series at the end of this year. Yeah, and it's, I'm sure it's a good, uh, almost like a shakedown for for Sean, not for the car, in preparation for the 12 hours, Golf 12 hours, which have recently been announced as moving to Bahrain rather than Abu Dhabi this year, where which I think is going to be Sean's only, only his second or third competitive outing of the year, isn't it? Forget the fact that it's actually in next year. Well, they're supposed to do GT Open, but I think they went in the end. So I'm not entirely sure what happened there. They announced they were going, but then nothing else got mentioned of it. So, now let's move on to Stella Motorsport. Then, who had the number thirty back with us um, at Silverstone? Of course, that's the Audi R8 LMS GT3 of Richard Williams and Senna Fielding. This car had a pretty reasonable race from everything that we could see. And this, unfortunately, I think suffered the problem of there being so many cars and so many high profile cars as well, as we didn't really see a lot of it. Um, It stayed in the middle of the GT3 field, though, um, for most of the race from what we could see. And there was some good midfield battling, um, which we did see as the car pitted from the front of one of the battle packs whilst in eighth place around the two hour mark. Um, and then it disappeared from screens again, uh, but finished a respectable 10th. Um, they've been with us for a couple of races this season. Uh, not all the races um, on there, but in terms of their performance, it has kind of cons- been consistently midfield, which is no bad thing. And it's another case of kind of no news is good news for this team, I think, from this race. Yeah, looked good, went good was just overshadowed by great, wasn't it? I know they've been doing a lot of work with the car this season to kind of try and get it into as good a condition as possible. And hopefully, you know, it'll all come good down the line and, and next year perhaps we'll be seeing it shown what it can really do. Um, as we discovered uh, doing a live Q&A with the Richard and Senon, that this was actually going to be their last weekend together driving because... Next year's rules don't allow two silver drivers to drive together. So it's unfortunately for them, it's uh, no more. We're going to be separated out and see how they get off and see how they get on with um, two new driver pairings. Next up, 
is the number eight car, which all year has been the Team ABBA Racing Mercedes AMG GT3. Recovered from its unfortunate incident in warm-up at Snetterton. Uh, unfortunately, not having the best of, of weekends. The car had loads of pace, um, especially at the hands of Sam here. Um, but there were a few errors. Uh, first of all, in qualifying, unfortunately, Richard Neary uh, crossed the pit lane blend line to overtake a car on the way out of the pits. That's a big no-no, and that landed up with a two-place grid penalty. Um, so they started the race on the back foot and immediately put themselves even further on the back foot. There was some sort of error during the start procedure. We don't know exactly what it was. Um, but that netted a drive-through penalty in the opening hour of the race. Soon after, um, and we're talking within half an hour here, the car served a second in the race penalty. It was a 10-second stop and go. That was due to the number eight car having a collision, um, which was just to be the Mercedes fault, basically nerfed a, uh, a GTC Ferrari off the track and into a spin. Um, so that put them pretty pr pretty, old, pretty much on the back foot, uh, left them with 11th place overall, which wasn't the result that they were looking for. The Nick said uh, the Abba Merck was showing good pace, but there was one point early in the race where Sam Neary was, I think, was running in third. He was just behind the two leaders, and he was actually catching them, and he was flying, and it's... And he was really, really going for it. And it's just fortunately then the first penalty got applied and he had to drop him back. It would be interesting to see how far they were gone without the penalties. They were going really, really well. We move on to Optum Motorsport, who this weekend were actually running three GT3 McLarens. The first one was the 68 of Mark Crader and British GT returnee Alex Mortimer. Very fetching blue and black car, which quite looks... Very similar to the 2Cs motorsport, and I confused them a few times during the race. A uh, very quiet race for them. End up finishing 15th, which for the first time having a go in the car. Mark Crater's not a name that sort of comes springs off of my head. So it was a respectable, respectable performance, respectable pace. Uh, reasonable enough finish for them. I did notice looking through the information that we're given by TSL, I think Alex Mortimer might be a particularly happy man coming away from, from Silverstone because, again, first time in the car, uh, making their debut at the same time as another person who made his debut in a McLaren GT3 car at Silverstone, uh, one Jensen Button. And his fastest lap was actually 0.7 of a second faster than a former world champion. So the car had pace, it just didn't have consistent pace. The second of the three Optimum Motorsport cars, um, actually the highest placed finisher for Optimum Motorsport, was the number 77 of Brendan Uribe of Oculus Rift fame and Ollie Milroy, who's uh, been in and about British, British Motorsport for, for quite a while now and uh, is, is become quite an established pro driver. The car looked fantastic. Unfortunately, it looked a little bit too uncluttered. Um, some of the necessary decals and, and numbering was missing from the vehicle, so they, they took a slap on the wrist for that. 
but it was just a slap on the wrist. It was a, it was a warning rather than any penalty. There was a fantastic battle between Uribe and Loggy uh, during the race. It was um, there was some proper proper battling going on. I thought several times that the McLaren was going to hit the Mercedes, but uh, Brendan did a, a fantastic job of, of, of controlling it. He had oodles of extra pace through the through the new section. Uh, of, of, of Abbey and then through Farm and Village, etc. Unfortunately, he found himself with a bit too much pace at one point, got wide through Farm, and how the heck he kept it out of the, uh, the, the wall by the village grandstands. I have no idea, because I, I was convinced that car was going straight to the scene and then possibly through the scene of the accident. It was carrying that much speed, but he kept it out the wall, rejoined the track, Seventh place on debut was a pretty good result. There was one point during the middle of the race where I thought this car was actually going to be challenging for the race win. Um, it was, considering it started sort of mid-pack, they were going really great guns. And Ollie Milroy, who should have been in a, scheduled to be in a GT4 McLaren this year for Optimum before COVID changed the plans. That, that car, running looking good, was going good. And there was also another point during the race where it wasn't seen on camera. We had Brendan was chasing after um, Adam Ballon. So I was like, in my head, I'm thinking to myself, I'm considerably richer than you. I'm considerably richer than you. And it was the two wealthiest people on the grid having a little race to themselves, which was quite funny to me. But they say, without um, see Brendan's little aim at the barrier, and then uh, Ollie Milroy had a a little incident where basically you hit the curb and they actually sort of switched the car off where you have to do a control alt delete and reset. Mm-hmm. It could have finished much higher, but say for the first time in British GT, I know they've been racing around in um, GT Open this year, so they're plenty experienced together and Optimum know how to do set up a car up and how to run their cars. I hope they sort of come back next year, actually. I think they'll be a good good shout for sort of perhaps championship contenders if we get them to, get them to come back. I did giggle. Joe Osborne was commenting as as you just had with the I'm richer than you, I'm richer than you. He was he was pointing out that there's a a chap there that, that that's um very good at chucking strawberries into a bottle, racing against um somebody who's who, who's trying to convince you your granny's on a roller coaster or something like that. That really did make me giggle. <laughs> The last of the Optimum Motorsport entries for Silverstone, which of course is the full season entry number 96 McLaren of Lewis Proctor and Ollie Wilkinson. Uh, this car's had a bit of a mixed bag this season, um, but hopes were high moving into the final race because the car did qualify sixth out of the 20 car GT3 entry. And the car held its own through the much, through a lot of the race. Um, again, suffering... I think a bit from not being in the midst of all the action, we didn't see too much of it. As we moved towards the last half hour of the race, though, we did see the car spin out of the loop. Um, it took the sausage curb a bit aggressively and ended up making contact with the number six run race in Mercedes. Uh, there was quite a long stall before the car moved away under its own power, thankfully, which saw it drop down and did receive a drive-through penalty related 
to that collision, um, which put paid 20 chances and finished a disappointing 13th on the grid. Yeah, I think the penalty was was a bit harsh in that one. Um, Ian Loggie, I mean, he did a fantastic job to keep that car pointing in approximately the right direction. But he wasn't particularly delayed by the incident. The one that lost out the most was the number 96 car being stuck there, pointing the wrong way on in the Wellington Strait. And then... To, to slap it with a penalty for, for, for hindering its own race is, is it's kind of like being punished twice for the same problem, isn't it? When I watched it back, I was I was looking at thinking, from my point of view, it was one of those, it could have been classed as a racing incident, but then he did put the car in a position where, because he hit the curb, it sort of bounced him wide into my um, Ian Logging. So I sort of see why the penalty is applied. It probably wasn't, say, it is 10 second penalty after he did lose about a minute sitting there doing, fiddling with buttons. It, it, it's unfortunately, Peter Daly has a difficult job and the decision he made was to apply the penalty. And, um, and it, unfortunately, there was nothing Ollie could have done more than get back in the gap and, up and running and off he went. To me, it was a textbook racing incident, though. Ollie was fully alongside. Was he fully inside, or did he have like only half the car up the side of it? Because that might have been why Peter Daly went with the decision he made. If the car was fully side by side, you could say you could say that. But but if the car was only halfway along, then it's like mm, you can see why. Out of the loop, they were fully side by side. The extra grunt of the Mercedes got it a little bit ahead. But it, it wasn't enough for the for the Mercedes to be fully clear and they had been side by side on the approach to Angel. So they say racing incident and two into one don't go. You're gonna ask a racing driver to step on the brakes to avoid to avoid the possibility of a of a little bump. Because it ain't gonna happen, is it? <laughs> I think we can sit and argue about whether it was an incident or a penalty situation till the cows come home. But ultimately, you know, we've got to live with the decision that was made uh, by someone who's a lot more experienced than us. So I think we'll agree to disagree and move on to the next car. All I'm saying is if it's a set of course of competency only, I'm putting my McLaren in that gap every time. <laughs> so next up, um, was basically the first of our championship contenders. I was in with a shot of the Pro-Am championship, but a, a distant one. Uh, we're talking here, of course, of the WPI Motorsport number 18 Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo. Michael Igo joined again by Andrea Caldarelli for the, for the three-hour race at Silverstone. And sixth place, probably a little bit disappointing. So yeah, we didn't actually see that much of them during the race. There was uh, some good battling between um, between Calderelli and well, pretty much everybody. The, the car was on a right charge at Calderelli's hands, and then we saw a bit of the car where Michael Igo. I mean, talk about a fantastic claim here, uh, Michael Igo defending against and holding off. 
Jensen Button um, on the way through Stowe Corner. Other than that, it was just a, qu- a quiet race to to round out the season for them. Up next, we have the two-car entry this weekend for the Jensen Team Rocket RJN. Uh, the number three, um, you might have heard of it possibly because it did get mentioned once or twice on commentary and up the build-up of Chris Buncombe returning to British GT and um, a certain F1 World, Formula 1 world champion of Mr. Jensen Button. Um, I'm sure they preferred the weekend to go much better than it did. Um, it actually got un- revealed that this car was the original McLaren test car. So this car had plenty of mileage. Joe Osborne would have done a lot of testing in it and did the original race with it back in Abu Dhabi a couple of years, three, four years ago when the 720 first appeared. Couldn't get the tyres switched on. They couldn't get the handling to how they wanted it. They had been updated to all the latest spec and couldn't really get it going fully. Considering they went in with hardly literally no testing and Busson was struggling with the ABS because he's never used ABS before in a race car. They did what they wanted to do. They finished the race and brought definitely brought a lot of attention to the championship. And um, they were running reasonable pace and Button did set his last lap. It was actually his fastest lap of the race. So fingers crossed. You know, Button says he, he, he doubted he'd be able to do a full season of British GT or even perhaps international um, racing in like Blanc, not Blancpain, GT World Challenge. Chances are he might make a one or two appearances. So hopefully a bit more testing to get him back again. I mean, I expected Jensen Button to find the transition a bit harder than perhaps a lot of other people did. Um, the ABS thing, I mean, the one thing that's running through my mind here is there's a switch on the steering will turn it off. <laughs> um, perhaps that's me being a little bit too simplistic. Um, I was very, inc- very, very impressed by Chris Buncombe. I mean, I know he's got more experience than Jensen with the championship, and he's it wasn't too long ago he was racing a, a very big and wieldy GT3 car in the, in the form of the Nissan uh, GTR, but. I think the stints that he had in the car, he did exactly what the AM should be doing. He wasn't losing time to to the faster cars around him. He was, he was keeping it, he was keeping it in the ballpark. And the car performed a lot better on Sunday than it did on Saturday. So they'd obviously sorted out a lot of their tire warm up issues. It was um, a good toe in the water, and for thirteen sets of two drivers, one heck of a boast because that's 13 sets of two drivers that can claim they beat Jensen Button in a race. Of course, the number three car, the, the Bunk and Button uh, car, was joining as a single round entry alongside our full season uh, Jensen Team Rocket RJM car, the number two of Michael O'Brien and world's fastest gamer James Baldwin, which had a fairly quiet first sort of two hours of the race and then just shot it shot right up to the front and it was having a a, a, a right go at, at getting onto terms with the with the race leader uh was was even thinking about potentially moves for the lead ended up battling for for second and losing out but it was a it was a strong performance from them 
unfortunately they were just too far down there was there were too many people that they were fighting for a title with that were running at the front of the championship also at the front of the race which meant that really it was only they were only going for only going for single race glory here rather than the, rather than a championship middle stint by world fastest gamer james Baldwin was um brought this car back into contention during the original pit stops it got sort of started back a bit and it was trying to fight their way through so james did a great stint middle of the race which propelled it back up and michael o'brien um had to do i think it was nearly an hour for the last stint um the way they run their run their strategy and, you know unfortunately got a bit caught up with a hac mclaren during through beckett's which basically lost him the position against yelma berman in the ram mercedes um I was could have had a decent second spot. They nearly got the lead when Sandy Mitchell came out of making his final pit stop, but Sandy on much fresher tyres was managed to, managed to pull away. But for these guys, considering it was their first full year, James Baldwin's first full year in a, in a car with a roof on, I think they couldn't ask for a much better championship the way they went. And fingers crossed we get them back next year. I know I keep saying that a lot, but always want them back bring them back come back please i hope that what they've what james and michael have achieved this year will show uh jensen team rocket rjn a what a great championship we've got and b what a good it almost a training ground it is for drivers moving up into gt world challenge europe because we, we picked these guys up because Europe was too much of a logistical challenge this year with COVID for, for, for this car and, and for these guys. And I say it was an entry we weren't supposed to have that, that was in with a chance of the title at the final round. I, I hope it, it inspires a team to come back because Jensen was, was talking during the... Uh, during the broadcast, and he, he was basically saying that they're, they're a Europe-focused team, and I don't, I don't want to lose them. Let's move on to 2Cs Motorsport now. Um, we've already made the joke that perhaps they should be 3Cs Motorsport, uh, but let's start off with the single-round entry of the number 11 car, which was slightly differently liveried to the two full-season entries. Uh, so the number 11 also... Another McLaren 720S GT3. This one was driven by Alfaisal Alzebert and Martin Kodrich. Um, they actually did uh, very well. They outperformed the sister cars in this particular race. Um, a very good early move on the number nine on the first lap at Village. Um, but then quite a quiet race. Um, but Given their fourth place finish, um, very much a case of no news is good news for this car. It stayed out of trouble, got its head down, um, and put the laps in. So for a first foray into British GT, you can't really ask for more uh, than a fourth place finish. I definitely agree with Sarah on that. It's um, from what they were their very first time to finish fourth in such a big class of GT3 cars. They just did their bit, got on with it, and the, the win their little out within the team. I'm sure they were 
grab that with both hands if uh, asked for it before. The number nine car had a reasonably trouble-free race for them um, compared to some of their races earlier this year. Angus Fender and Dean McDonald did their bit and ended up finishing just behind their teammate, uh, the number 11. So the car always has pace. They've shown pace throughout the year. No mistakes that to be seen. No real major issues. The team worked wonderfully with having three cars for the first time and they just got on with it and fifth spot was good for them. Angus Fender and Dean McDonald are the people that I feel really sorry for in this team. Because, as you said, for the first time this year, team and driver and car all executed perfectly. And their full-season teammates stumbled. And they bought another car which went that little bit quicker than them, so they lost the glory to the one to the one-off entry. It's like, oh, they finally they finally get to be the team's big winner. And they, they bring another car which was just that little bit quicker. It's um I, I feel sorry for Angus and, and, and Dean on that front. And then of course there is the number 10, the Jordan Witt and Jack Mitchell uh, McLaren from two seas motorsports which was sitting third in the silver cup championship when it entered the the silverstone circuit unfortunately didn't have a weekend uh, which offered much in the way of of joy uh finished 12th overall and they um they had a couple of uh, a couple of little moments the main one being a spin at, at the beckett's s's after after bumping with the uh, with the GTC class leader at the time, the number thirteen Scott Sport Ferrari, um, basically it was Jack Mitchell at the wheel dived in where angels fear to tread, um, and then had a similar issue uh, a little while later at the at the loop with uh, number sixty eight car, which was another one of the McLaren GT three cars. It was. Um, a little bit disappointing, but they are they do finish up as uh, as the highest placed in the championship of all of the two C's cars. It was a good first year for the team. Uh turned into a good first year after um we say a, a, a ropey start. And a good year for Jack and Jordan. Our second place finisher was the Ram Racing Mercedes AMG GT3 of Ian Loggie and Yelma Berman in the number six. They had a really, really good race. They needed to do what they did to clinch Prime Championship to be out the number 72 OL Lamborghini. They were fighting pretty much the whole race, defending, fighting going quickly they did what they needed to do and well done to them to clinch the championship yeah it's an impressive an impressive final race of the season for them and um to be honest i think if we didn't have 10 15 minutes of safety car at the start then potentially they'd have been quite a bit closer to the to the leader at the end if all it all Yelma needed was probably another 10 minutes and he could have been on terms with, with Sandy Mitchell, I think. But 
I suppose that's the way the cookie crumbles, isn't it? But what was good fortune for the number six uh, wasn't quite such good fortune for the teammates in the number 69. Sam Dehan and Patrick Kajala entered the uh, the circuit at the start of the weekend, leading two championships, the GT3 overall and the GT3 Silver Cup championship. Unfortunately, they had a bit of a race to forget. They didn't qualify particularly well and got stuck in a bunch of traffic at the start. And then there are a couple of mistakes um, during the uh, during the course of the the race, mainly uh, the incident which which tipped the number seventy two into a spin at Stow. Basically, Sander Han had been caught up behind its championship rival for, for for a little bit of time, was looking to make progress and and put. A, People say it was a dive. I think it was a, a move that he fairly well choreographed, but didn't quite get didn't quite get to where he needed to be able to claim the corner. And Adam Ballon therefore claimed the corner, and unfortunately they came together. Uh, that did lead to a ten-second stop and go penalty for causing a collision, which which basically put an end to any of their championship hopes. They finished eighth in GT GT three. Uh, which wasn't going to be enough. Move Sam tried putting on to Adam Ballon was hinting on aspiration. I think he was not close enough to even make a maneuver on him. He just sort of just sort of tapped the back of him, and it just didn't seem move was on. He wasn't. It didn't even dive down the side properly. He just sort of ran in the back of him. Which the whole weekend qualifying go well. They weren't exactly quick in free practice it was this seemed to be the slowest of the Merc, the slowest of the ram racing mercs this weekend and considering the year they've had i'm sure they're both going to be very disappointed with how the race went and it's um considering they went into the race leading championship all they had to do was beat the 78 and they come out much worse it was expecting so much and just didn't really work out for them at all but there was no malice involved in it, was there? It wasn't the if I can't win it, you can't either. It was just a fumbled attempt. Yeah, no malice. It was just he bodged it. That's the only way. But I'm, I'm, there's no nice way of, or either way of saying it. It just it, it didn't just didn't come off, and it and it cost him. Fortunately, it's not the only person that it cost as well. Because moving on to Barwell, who of course took the team's championship. We've got the 72 first up of the team of Adam Ballon and Phil Keane in the Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo. How good are we for Phil Keane? Denied again. It obviously didn't go how they wanted it to. Um, and, you know, the fight was on right from the start between both of the Barwell title hopefuls. They both took the early safety car to have a driver change very early on. Uh, so Phil Keane ended up out in the car a couple of minutes in, rejoining behind the safety car, and both cars then made a good breakaway at the front. Keane took the lead um, over Sandy Mitchell up the inside at Brooklyn's just past the 25-minute mark and held that lead until he handed the car back to Adam Ballon and also set a fastest lap during that time. Um, as we got 
two thirds of the way into the race, we had a great battle going on for fifth. Um, but then, as we've just discussed, um, Balan took back over the car and in his stint started slipping back a little bit. And then we had the incident between him and Dehan, uh, which resulted in a spin for both cars, effectively ending the 72's chance of any sort of placement and they finished down in ninth so I think probably really a weekend they'd rather forget in a lot of ways if we look back at their championship campaign I think their champ it was their chance when a brand's act where they didn't score any points that was I think the beginning of their end of their championship challenge they did win at snap but obviously that gave them the success penalty to, that carried over into Silverstone which is another 20 seconds in the pit lane so they were fighting a losing battle before they even started the race and to lose out to the teammate car of the sea of British GT newbie, Rob Collard and Sandy Mitchell in the 78. They did what they had to do. They basically knew they had to win and that's what they did. They did their race perfectly. As Sarah said, Barwell did their trick of bringing the cars in nice and early. They even got, I think the I think they even got in the pit lane before the safety car actually came out. Um, they timed it perfectly. They couldn't get it better if they tried. And obviously this strategy worked for them back in back at Donington for the three hour when Phil Keane, Adam Ballon um, tried it there. Trying it with the 78 muzzle mirror, mirror the mirror the strategies and it worked out great. And Rob, what could we say? Coming across from BTCC, everyone's expecting him to Barge his way through, and he didn't do that at all all year. And him and Sandy, silver silver pairing, absolutely brilliant championship. Didn't finish any lower than fifth the whole year, which is the, the to win a championship is the best way of doing it. Continuously point scoring, and it was they they couldn't do much better. And it's just a huge well done to them for Rob's first year in British GT, and obviously also doing the campaign in GT World Endurance as well with Barwell. It was brilliant and brilliant and well done and hopefully they'll come back next year to defend. I mean, as, as much as you can be good for the 72, you can't take away um, from just how well the 78's done all year round. Yeah, it was the the best way to win a championship. I'm going to go back to, to something that, that Sarah said there. Uh, when talking about 72, which is how sorry do you feel for Phil Keane? I said, to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of like him. When just after the incident, he was interviewed, it's like, oh, well, I've got used to this now. <laughs> because it seems like every year he comes into it with a chance and, and, and it fumbled. But there is no better way to win a championship than to do, than to do such a it was, it was almost dominance, wasn't it? There, there wasn't many that had an answer for, for for what the 78 could turn out. The only car that did was a 72, and that was too far back to, to influence it. It was, um, yeah, the right way to go about winning a championship in 78. You're listening to the British GT Fan Show, built by TCF Sports Cars. Don't forget to follow us on our social media, at BGTF Show. Don't forget to check our partners, the 
British GT fans on social media at Fans of British GT on Twitter and Instagram, and British GT fans on Facebook. So we're coming up to the end of November, which means it's not going to be long until the next season approaches. And by season, I don't mean next year's British GT calendar. I am, of course, talking about Christmas. And we thought it would be nice to uh, put together a little list of things that you might want to get the motorsport and British GT fan in your life. Now, obviously, due to the shops being shut, uh, all of the places we're about to mention have online order and delivery and we will be posting these on our social medias as well so um if you forget then there'll be a reminder for places to go and visit so first up uh, we'd be remiss not to talk about the official britishgtmerchandise.com website there's loads of great options on here um from official championship apparel so you've got hoodies shirts uh, nick has and Highly recommends the soft shell jacket. Um, there's stationery, you've got notepads, pens, USB drives. Um, I saw on Twitter yesterday there's also socks in a box. So if you're ever in doubt, socks are always a great gift, or I think so anyway. Uh, but prices start from under a fiver, so you've got something there for all budgets. I'm looking forward to receiving TS Sport branded socks for Christmas from you then, Sarah. <laughs> Already <laughs> but next up is um, this one's been picked by me for for, for the big kids out there. Uh, Scaleelectric.com. Uh, obviously, they offer gifts for children of all ages with a number of British GT cars available. I've had a quick look through there today, and if you can make it past the LMP1 Janetta, which is on the front page, uh, difficult, I know. Um, but you do then come across such gems as Lee Moles BMW Z4 GT3. Uh, back when AMD ran a Z4 in the championship. There's the last year's champions, the Aston Martin V8 Vantage AMR GT3 from Johnny Adam and Graham Davidson. And there's other cars in there, TF Sports, uh, uh, Bentley from, from Brands Hatch. There's some GT World Challenge cars in there as well. Uh, prices start from about £40, uh, but the big kid with a credit card will be very hard-pressed not to not to go a little bit over budget there. And for those who, you know, like their tracks a little bit bigger than a scale electric set, um, our next pick is the MSV shop, which is shop.msv.com. Um, so the most of the British GT calendar runs on the MSV owned circuits. And uh, there are various things on there. Um, but for those who are looking for a big gift, you could get a full season pass, which comes in at £200 with a little tiny bit of change. Uh, but there are vouchers available on there and they go from £10. So you can always contribute to send your loved one to the racetrack next year. Now, with those season passes, they do a two-wheel and a four-wheel season pass. Uh, the £200 one covers all the circuits and all the four-wheel action. So you can do British GT, but you can also do touring cars, GT Cup, brick car. Uh, truck racing is always a very good one for me as well. So well worth uh, worth taking a look at as is this is my my personal recommendation uh iancunningham.art that is actually a website address uh .art is is the domain extension uh ian is a good friend of mine uh, as is gareth his partner in the business um they produce some some really good 
technically drawn artworks of racing cars. I've got two myself. Cannot recommend them more. They cover a number of championships. They've done every British GT champion for the past decade, plus most of the other cars in the field. Uh, they also do GT Cup. They do World Endurance um, and GT World Challenge cars. Their, their artworks on canvas start from about £65. Um, and you can even commission, they do private commissions. If you've got the money and somebody in your life that's got a particularly nice car they want artwork of, then they'll come out, they'll photograph, and they'll do a, a bespoke image of, of that car for you. Um, so I really cannot recommend them enough. And our last pick um, is something that I've seen kind of floating around for the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm sure kind of as people are starting to look for Christmas, you know, the algorithms out of on Facebook and the like are, are getting ramped up. So I've been getting a lot more motorsport on my feed. Um, so something a little bit different to decorate your wall. How about a handmade outline of your favourite British GT circuit? Uh, so there's a lot of different companies doing this now, but the one that we are looking to uh, promote to you is trackscapes.com. Um, and they were the first. So the prices start at £59 and all British GT circuits, except for Spa, is available. Um, so if you wanted to, you could put the entirety of this year's racing calendar up on your wall, which would be quite a unique way to celebrate what's been a very unique uh, but exciting season. I do have one more suggestion, which has literally just sprung into my head. And of course, there is the official SRO game, the Assetto Corsa Competizione. It's been out for a little while now. You're going to start to, to see a little bit of savings on it. It's available for PC, for Xbox and for PlayStation 4. Um, so that's available and the British GT pack is coming soon as well. So you'll have all of our circuits on it. Of course, as Sarah said, we'll put all of the links to these locations up on our social media for you so you can get to them nice and easily. And we do want to make it clear that if you want to tell them that we sent you, we will be grateful, but we receive absolutely no commission from this. So there's no commercial benefit to either the show or to the group to you going to these places. It's, it's just these are things that we thought we, you might like as a, as a British GT fan to receive as a gift. And if you've got any other suggestions, please do let us know by social media. We'll have a look and we'll pop them up as well because it's the season of giving and sharing and everything like that. And who doesn't want to see more motorsport related content? So that wraps up this episode of the British GT Fan Show. Don't forget to check out our most recent interview with Nathan Freak, which is also available through all good podcast providers and our social media. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure you keep up to date with the British GT Fan Show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the British GT Fan Show. Remember, the show's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media at bgtfshow.
The British GT Fan Show is a Storm Vixen creative and RPS-driven media production. To find out more, visit our website at www.bgtfshow.co.uk.